Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Felipe Riccio and Adam Garcia from Goodnight Hospitality coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week, local beverage expert, Linda Salinas. <laughs> Linda, welcome back to the show. How are you? Uh, I'm living my best life. Good. I'm glad to have you here. We have quite a bit to discuss, so let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, as heard on this very podcast last week, the folks behind Nobies. Sarah and Martin Steyer and their bar manager, Sarah Troxell, are opening a tiki-inspired bar and restaurant called the Toasted Coconut in Montrose early next year. Linda, I know you're a Nobis fan. I know you've known about this for a little while. Mm-hmm. Because you were taunting me with it. Yeah. What, uh, what do you think? What do you think about, about another... Because we have a few tiki bars in Houston now. Okay. Let's but name no, them off. All right. Well, Lalo is the most obvious one. Mm-hmm. But I would say Double Trouble channels a certain tiki vibe. That's right. I would say uh, Voodoo Queen has a tiki thing going on. Barely. Okay. And then there's Canaloa downtown, which I actually haven't been to, but I hear good things about. Okay. Um, none of that is in Montrose. That That is correct. None of that is in Montrose. I am ecstatic to see what those blocks. I mean, look, we're talking about what's what's next to that revelry, which is a bro bar, you know, a great sports bar. Yes. Yeah, and, yeah. And, a, and an occasional gal media sponsor. So tread tread lightly. Yes. Yes. Um, no, I mean, it, it definitely has its place. You know, Revelry's a, a great like sports It's a pretty fan. good version of a sports bar. Yeah. 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 Um, then and then, have, and then the harp that closed and is going to be reborn as some with a new name. And I was so ready for that to be done. I oh yeah. Just, no, it needed to be put out of its I, I know it really was. It was like that dying, dying, lowly, terrible Shabby. bar. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really glad that, um, that little, corner pocket you know of of um of list of establishments have something new and bright and wonderful and um sarah's been uh been doing speed rock uh for the past couple of years um i'm sure that she's learned a thing or two about batching and speed so well and she's a true tiki disciple we should say like yeah. she and her boyfriend, Jacob, like live the tiki lifestyle. When they travel, they go to tiki bars. Yeah. If you see them out and about, they're typically wearing brightly colored tiki shirts. Yeah. And I mean, and it's the same thing with with uh, with the guys over at Lalo, like Russell and oh, man, I can't remember. Elizabeth. Yeah. Elizabeth. There we go. Um, I'm here for you. Thanks. Uh, yeah. I mean, they they really dove in and they they stuck true to form to what they and they've and they've they've done really well, you know. Um, and I'm glad that it's a neighborhood spot over there. I mean, I was there like on Thursday or something. Yeah, I was there uh, a couple of weeks ago for the uh, sipping Santa, yeah, holiday pop up that they've got going on at Lalo. It's and I was reminded of the thing that I like best about Lalo, which is that when you walk through that door, you feel like you're just somewhere else. Oh yeah, like absolutely. you're not in a 
strip shabby strip center yeah. in the heights yeah you're like in a tropical paradise yeah no 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 and so i think i think martin and sarah and sarah understand like how important that aspect is that the tiki bars have to be transportive in a way yeah so i think the toasted coconut will get that and then personally i'm just really excited about like a new menu and new ideas from Martin because I always feel like when I go to Nobis that I have lots of delicious choices. Yeah, I mean, they've been open for a couple of years. I'm a big fan of like their use of ingredients. Um, I mean, it's great, you know. Um, I wish the space was a little bit bigger, but you know, it is what it is. But I would that's part of Nobis charm, yeah. And- the toasted coconut will be bigger. It's almost 3,000 square feet. Yeah. I mean, in all honesty, like, I'm glad that we're getting to a point now in Houston that people are willing to take a smaller spot, you know, and, you know, having a little bit, a little bit of that small space, you've got to be on a little bit of a weight, you know, so on and so forth, as opposed to like walking into a mass monster, massive, like, you know, you know, Tons of people. Cheesecake like, factory kind of uh, situation. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So anyways, let's move on. <laughs> All right. Topic number two, La Mexicana, the Montrose Tex-Mex institution. Their general manager, Zulema Gonzalez. Zulema. Did I come close? Yeah. You're All right. Good. Um, <laughs> has announced that she is... She's the daughter of the owners, and she is partnering with her siblings to open a fast, casual spinoff concept called La Mex. It will be part of the revived development at the corner of Ella Boulevard and 34th that is already home to Aladdin and BB's Cafe. So it's like that, if you think about kind of that little stretch of Montrose Boulevard from Westheimer to Fairview, three of those businesses are... Will now be will now have outposts in Oak Forest. So you're you're looking at me like you're you're trying to place it. Yeah, I was it's like, right what? down the street from the Shipleys, the on Ella. Yeah, that's the it's best right one. down the street from <laughs> Flying Pho, uh, Christopher Wong's Pho restaurant. It's near Gatlin's. It's near the Union Kitchen. It's it's all like right there. Oh, cool, awesome. That'll be that'll be great for that neighborhood. Like. Well, yeah, so there used to be an El Rey in that neighborhood that closed. Yeah. And so that immediate area, like if you're a commuter yeah. and you're commuting down Ella on your way to 610 in the mornings, you have been bereft of breakfast tacos. Yeah. Well, this will fix that problem because you will now have a fast, casual breakfast and lunch option that, that will mean, sell you tacos on your way to work. I mean, the only, my only, I think the only concern. The only concern is being able to get in and out of your vehicle because, I mean, honestly, that Kalachi line for Shipley's right there ain't no joke. It backs up onto the street. Yeah. Which is one of the other reasons that if you're Zulema and La Mexicana, that you got to feel good about it. If people will sit in their cars backed up onto the street for Kalachi's, yeah. like they'll Surely they'll be willing to park for a second long enough but to you run know, in and But grab you have to remember, up. like, Houstonians, I mean, and I am one of those people, I, if I try not to get out of my car if I don't really need to, you know? See, but, and, but I am also a Houstonian, and, and if you see, like, when Austin people see a line, they think, oh, that's exciting, and they get in it. Yeah. When Houstonians <laughs> see a line, they're like, 
I'm going somewhere else. I'm going to keep driving. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So I think this will be, I, you know, La cool. Mexicana. People really love La Mexicana. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll have to, you know, go bust their chops and see what's going on over there. Yeah, no, it's well, and that's just one of those places that you know, it's I it, I've never done this list. I've never written this list, but it's like, where can I get booze at the earliest possible hour? You can start. You know, you have to stop serving booze at 2 a.m. Yeah. in Texas. Well, you can start serving it at 7 a.m. for all those third shift workers that that work overnight and then want to unwind before they go to bed. I mean, honestly, like dub, that's my, dub, my double trouble is my 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 spot to go. I go grab tacos a go go, one of those big fat delicious tacos right. over there. Breakfast tacos, chorizo potato, the way to go. Uh, and then walk over to Double Trouble. I'll grab a coffee. Maybe, maybe might have a pina colada. Maybe, maybe might have a beer. You right. Know? So Double Trouble is on that list. But La Mexicana is definitely on that list. Yeah. And if you go there in the morning, you will see nurses and doctors and cops and all the usual type of people off work, having a cocktail, unwinding from their the end of their day. Yeah. Right. Katz is also on that list, by the way. Just, oh, just putting it out there. The worst. Um, so I don't think, I don't know that the fast casual breakfast and lunch concept will necessarily also have cocktails. I didn't, I I should have asked and didn't, frankly. Oh, they're going to do cocktails? I don't know. I don't know. I, oh, hold on. Don't, no don't promises, start, don't no promises start rumors right now, okay? But <laughs> but I, I, I don't think so because it doesn't really fit with the concept. Yeah. It's fast casual, right? The idea is to kind of eat and go. I mean, everyone likes delicious beverages at all times. Yeah. Well, so, but, but taking those recipes from La Mexicana yeah. and taking them to Oak Forest, I, I mean, that's a no brainer. All right. It's a year away, but it's exciting. A year away. The worst. Topic number three. More imminently, Cloud 10 in Rice Village is gone, closed. Instead, pastry chef Chris Lung and his business partner Christopher Balot have two new locations, one in Midtown in the former Dolce Delights space that's part of that development with Junior Ramen and Artisans and what used to be Holly's. I mean, I don't really understand exactly what they're thinking because they're obviously struggling for parking and... Well, over I, there at Rice. I mean, what was the problem with Rice? Right. So the problem with Rice was that their the parking situation was pretty bad. Yeah. Right. That even when the developer allocated a few like free parking spaces, not in the garage, like right in front, uh-huh. that the valets for the restaurants that are near them would poach them, or customers going to those other restaurants would park in them, even though they weren't supposed to. And the enforcement mechanism, like, what do you do, right? There's not really anything you can do. Yeah, what are you going to do? Tow people? Right. Just be a jerk? Right. That's, that's no way to, that's no way to operate. Yeah. And then otherwise you have to pay to get in that garage. Yeah. Which is unpleasant. It just doesn't, it doesn't really make sense. Well, so the nice thing about the Midtown location, first of all, there's, it's, it's very walkable. There's apartments all over the place and more coming, right? Because they're building that Whole Foods and, and, there's a giant oh, apartment t- tower going in. I'm so tired of that freaking Whole Foods. Okay, well. It's, it's never it, going to be here, well, ever. It's you a can, lie. You can drive past it. You can see that they're building it. Yeah, whatever. So <laughs> that part of Midtown is very walkable. And more importantly, the garage in that 
development is free. You know what? I'm really tired of you being so cheerful today. Like all like, uh, you know, just it's too much for me today. Well, that's why I have you. <laughs> You're here to be negative and I'm going to be positive. <laughs> all right. So, all right. So Cloud 10. First, that's their first new location. That's opening. That's open. Like, as you're listening to this, that's open. Okay. Simultaneously, they are building a new location on South Shepherd, just north of Richmond, which is basically like, it's functionally right next to Nobis. Okay. Right? Nobis is on Colquitt. This is between Colquitt and Richmond on the south side, right next to that strip center where Burger Rim just opened, where Subway's been for a long time, et cetera, et cetera. So that will have its own space and dedicated parking that no one can poach. And so if you're a Rice Village Cloud 10 patron, this isn't that far away. It's a mile or two. And so that's your new Cloud 10. I mean, do you think that, I I mean, so here's the deal, right? Um, Ben and Jerry's has been in that neighborhood forever. Yeah, but never busy. Okay, well, I mean, it doesn't really matter. No, no, but it's, yeah, yeah. It's been there for a long time. Right. So it's been there for a long time. Why do you think, I mean, do you think that there was too much, you know, like the parking situation, the business was just, wasn't enough. There was too much stuff going on around them. You know, there's so much, there's so many of those variables, right? Right. And then you're basically dropping it. I mean, I think that going to the Heights right now is, was a great. And that has been hugely successful. Yeah. And I mean, and then there's so many people that live in the Heights that are still, they still have enough room for more people to to go out to eat and drink and open up establishments because that's a, a like booming business right now. Absolutely. So it works, right? But I don't know. I mean, I don't. I just don't see people going out for ice cream. I mean, look, I walked through Midtown this morning and I wa- I watched two Walk of Shames on Monday. On a Monday. That's on a solid. Monday, right? Solid. Two walk of Sunday, shames. Sunday, fun day, gone too far. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I, I, well, I saw two and a couple of piles of, you know what, on the ground. You know, I'm like, look, I don't know if that Midtown crowd is like, you know, families going to have ice cream sort of thing, you so, know. So here was my thought. All right. Right. Ramen is, right, Jinya Ramen is is the probably the best known yeah. occupant of that development. All right. It's busy all the time. Ramen is salty. Yeah. Me personally, after something really salty like ramen, I want something sweet. But Ice we're cream ta- kind of fits. The but bill. we're talking about that demographic. Like, know your guest. I don't know. I don't Let's know. Let's just see what happens. Let's just see what happens. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. that's just and maybe me. they've got to do like some sorbet or low fat or dairy free or exactly. something or other to make it a little more appealing to the. You know, because they've got that big gym right above them. Exactly. Like, who I mean, wouldn't want a refreshing treat after a trip to the gym? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's just, it doesn't, like, it doesn't fit the bill, like, for the, I mean, I don't know. Like, right. You're I, saying I, I, ice cream fundamentally is a family activity. Yes. Not like a 20 and 30 something activity. Exactly. And people are scared of calories, you know? Yeah. Especially that 20 to 30. They're like, oh, we can drink 17 beers. You know, but that but, ice but cream. Two scoops of ice cream, too or, much. Or, yeah, it's going to just over the top. You know, it's just too much. Like, yeah. You know, but um, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I'm glad that they're doing really well um, in the Heights. I think it's a solid move. I love Chris Long. Um, he does. Super talented, super, super nice guy. Ta- and he's so nice, you know, so. 
um, good luck to them. And I'm sure I'll pop in and say hello to them about that. All right. Topic number four. Final topic of the news. There is a rooftop bar coming to Edo in 2019. You're going to hate this. I just, I can't, I just, let me just lay it out for the people and then you can tell me all the reasons you hate it. I mean, there's no need to open this up like that. You act like I just hate everything. I love Nobis. You know what? I like good food, good drinks. Okay. All right. So it's called (laughs) Sunset. It's going to be located right near 8th Wonder Brewery. It's a rooftop bar. It's got a great view of the east end of the downtown skyline. So George R. Brown, Marriott Marquis, all that kind of stuff. Who are the who are the partners? So his name is Dominic Moreau. Okay. And he was previously associated with Hops Meets Barley, the craft beer bar in the Upper Kirby area that closed earlier this year. And I don't I don't remember the details on Dominic's bio and all the other places. He's okay. Been. But he wants to focus. It's going to have a lounge vibe. So that means lounge music, maybe a little jazz. And he wants the cocktail menu to focus on martinis, which is the point at which I kind of feel like you're going to hate it. I mean, there is only one martini, maybe two, a couple of different variations. When you call it a martini classically is gin or vodka. Now you adding fucking strawberries and chocolate and espresso and you know so on and so forth i mean like, you could do a manhattan just, you can do a cosmopolitan i you mean can do a- just say that it's cocktails just say that it's a cocktail bar you yeah. know I, I mean i was there for the martini thing in the late 90s that didn't end well for anybody i mean look hopefully Hopefully, look, I think it's a great idea. Uh, I think it's a great idea. I think that they need something over there. Um, But you have to think about it. Like, let's really talk about that neighborhood. Miss Carousel, a cocktail bar. Um, You've got... You got Truck Yard. Truck Yard. Rodeo rodeo Go. go. You got Eighth Wonder to a certain extent. Yeah, Eighth Wonder. um, There's also... Lucky's. There's Little Woodrow's. So, so that's what I'm saying. I think something that's a little bit stylish, a little bit out of What's the that, ordinary. Chapman and Kirby, right? Yeah, that's true. The Chapman and Kirby as well. Yeah, that's a massive space. Like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, so something a little more intimate. Yeah, something I don't a little, know. We'll just, I don't know. We'll I just, just have to see, and let's just see who's the develop, who the development is, and right. You know. I so from my perspective, right? We've I think we've reached peak patio bar. Yeah. Like I think they're. I'm sure there are more under development, but I feel like. Every possible gimmick, every possible twist on the, you know, prove me wrong, bar owners, but I feel like we've, we've thoroughly explored the genre. I mean, so I feel like rooftop bars are kind of a clever, like, you still get that outdoor space, but you get the rooftop view, and it's a, little, you know, it's a little different. Do you have to remember, I don't know if these guys know this, Houston's fucking hot. Yeah, but that doesn't stop people. I mean... Right? Like, I've been to Axelrad in the summer... And it's fucking hot, and there's a fuck ton of people there. <laughs> Tyler's, Tyler, our producer's just going to hate us. He's just going to hate us. Just like them, so many. Dropping F-bomb. them left, right, and center. All right. <laughs> Anyways, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, that's not my neighborhood, uh, but we'll just see what happens. Right. You know? But it's, it's emerge. That neighborhood is emerging as a nightlife destination. Yeah. Much in the same way that Midtown did once upon a time, much in the same way Washington Avenue did. 
And so we're only going to see more of this, right? Until yeah. until something fails, more and more people are going to see opportunity there. And you know, this is this is a clever way to kind of get in and put your stamp on something. All right. Are we going to talk about Finn Hall? Yeah, we're going to talk about Finn Hall coming back in our Restaurants of the Week segment. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Linda, for our Restaurants of the Week segment, I want to start with Finn Hall. This is the new downtown food hall that just opened up in the Chase Bank building at the corner of Rusk and Main. We did not go there together, but we have each visited separately. There are nine restaurants and a coffee shop in the food hall, including well-known brands like Dish Society and Good Company. There are uh, a Vietnamese restaurant. There's a Korean spot. There's a pizza place. There's a seafood restaurant from the owner of Harold's in the Heights. So you're going to just do, you're only going to name Dish Society and Good Company. You're not going to shout out to, you know, Mala. Oh, yeah. Mala Szechuan. Mala Szechuan or, you know, Fong's HTX, which is the Korean spot. Well, I mentioned, I didn't mention it by name. Come on, get it together. Craft Burger. Here we go. Shannon Toon, formerly of the Hotel Do your freaking job. Chopped. (laughs) Champion, Shannon Toon. Uh, yes, there's Yang, a Korean concept. There's yeah. Sitlo, a Vietnamese restaurant. There's... Uh, High Tide. High Tide, yes, the seafood concept from the Heralds and the Heights go. folks. Let's, all right. Mr. Nice Pie Mr. Nice the Pie Love Buzz. That wasn't open on a Monday? It was, wasn't open on Saturday What is going either. on with these clowns? Uh, that's a question for the Mr. Nice Pie people. I don't know. Okay. All right. All right. So you went to Finn Hall. Okay. What did you eat? Um, I ended up grabbing a burger because I was running, um, I was actually a chicken sandwich from, uh, Kraft Burger. Burger. Um, it was good. Crunchy, delicious. Um, fries don't care. Fries do not travel well. Um, so I knew that. All right. So what did you, all right. So I asked you about the food, but that's really unfair to me. What was your impression of the space overall? So a couple of different things. Um, Packed. Place was freaking packed. Yes. Um, It's a good lunch option for people who work in office buildings. Yes. Um, The food, all the food looked really great. I talked to a couple of different people. They're very happy with it. Um, I personally think that it's a little too expensive for what you get, um, like on se- on on several on uh, in a couple of different manners, like and the one thing that I've heard over and over again from other people uh, within our industry, you know, hospitality, is that Good Company and Dish Society are just robbing people, like like charging too much for the food that they're serving, way too much. Like for breakfast tacos, twenty one dollars. Get the fuck out of here, you know. That's a lot of money for four breakfast. Um, three tacos, $32. Yo, get it together. I find that hard to believe. No, that's that that's happened to someone. Okay. Like after it's all said and done, like tax title and license, you walk away with tacos, 30 bucks. Come on. Okay. Well, that I will agree with you that that's too much money. That's outrageous. I will say, I will say when I went there, I paid, I want to say I paid $12 for a 
large bowl of pho from Sitlo, and I paid $14 for five shrimp with fries, hush puppies, and coleslaw from High Tide. I think that those are great. Those are good prices. Yeah, I, mean, I, I didn't have a problem with the pricing. I, you know, I added crawfish etouffee balls for four or five bucks that, yeah. that I actually, that was the best thing I ate, like from either, from either of the two restaurants. Yeah. Uh, I will say I went on Saturday afternoon when it was busy, but not packed, but I felt like it could get, it seemed like if there were a real crowd in there that it would feel a little cramped. Yeah. It doesn't seem like there's just a ton. They there's, you know, with 10 different vendors stalls yeah there's just it didn't feel like there was a ton of seating to me i mean but it's it's very bright and colorful the place looks great the individual stands have like a nice look to them so they're all distinguished from each other yeah so i think that's a positive i did not go upstairs to the the swallow's nest the bar that's a little more intimate that would have given me a little bit of a a little more room potentially but I, I, you know, I had been sort of skeptical about this because I just felt like the choices, like the individual vendors were a little bit boring. But then for, having... For Finn Hall? Yeah. What? A little safe. Oh, come on. But having tried the food and like I, like the one thing that I wanted, the one thing that I saw go past me that I wanted to try and just didn't have the, like the room or the time for were the, uh, the spicy wings from... From Yong, they looked fantastic. You know, they had the lar- the they had the largest line. They had the largest line um, today. I, w- I went there today at, at noon, um, and they had a, a steady line. And uh, I was talking to one of the girls that works there. Well, and you know that's your old friend Daniel Ashtai. I know, from I know. Uh, but I went by there. He wasn't there. It's always good to go to a place and the owner isn't there and it's still running smoothly right they were having five to six minute ticket times that is great um and one of the things that i i heard a, a lot about was the convenience you know that there was so much convenience down there and they're just like look man i've been working in this building for 10 years um i'm tired of going to a restaurant that's downtown and it's 40 dollars a person and well, or you wind up eating like really junky fast food from yeah. some stand in the tunnels. Yeah. Which just, you know, it's been a long time since I worked downtown. Yeah. But when I did, the, the tunnel food was never good. Yeah. And so and then a lot of what what's happening is, is that a lot of people that are, you know, business travelers are going to going to like traveling, traveling business people that come to downtown for meetings. Look, they, they get a twenty five dollar lunch per diem. Like it, that's perfect. You know, do I think that Finn Hall is a great option for someone that does not work downtown? Um, no, it's not. It's not, it's not that it's not good. It's like you're not going to get. I would not have four of my friends meet me downtown to look for parking and to find seating and, you know, so on and so forth. I don't think that it's meant for that. But, but if you're a family of four and you're going to an Astros game, it might be a good stop. Before one of those. Exactly. Exactly. No, I mean, I think, I mean, overall, um, it has its, you know, it has its, um, it has its, you know, little bumps in the road, you know, with pricing and, you know, what's, what's good, what's not good. But I think overall, I think it's a great option for Houstonians and especially for downtown because, 
you know, it's it's been a working thing for 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 things for establishments to make it downtown. So right, it's been it has been difficult for yeah. right that that bar district on Main Street near Market Square has kind of taken off and been a foothold. There's a lot more residential coming downtown, and of course, yeah. Finn Hall is right next to the JW Marriott. Yeah. So if you're a hotel guest, maybe you don't want to eat at the hotel for whatever reason. Yeah. That's a nice option. There's it's surrounded by office buildings. All of those people are potential customers. Yeah, no, I mean I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's a it's a thumbs up for me. So because you were skeptical. Yes, I was. Well, because I just heard those things about like the good company tacos. You yeah. Know? I would and say like, if you look at the price on the menu and they're charging you five dollars for a breakfast taco, order something else. Yeah. I mean Or go to another stand. Well look, I mean look, if you got a per, per diem and you want to crush your Crush your per diem on a couple of tacos. Yeah, we're not here to tell you what to do. Yeah, yeah, you do you, boo. All right, so (laughs) the one other thing I do want to talk about before you get out of here Mm -hmm. is Light Years, the new natural wine bar in Montrose. All of the cool wine people are hanging out at Light Years. At least that's what it looks like on my Instagram feed. I see all the cool wine people hanging out at Light Years. It's great. Okay, so explain to me because Camerata is really nice and 13 Celsius is really nice. And obviously, Mary Clarkson uh, from Avondale Food and Wine comes on the show all the time. And they've got kind of an interesting thing going on there. What is it about Light Years that you really like? Um, they have a little bit of parking. Um, it's, a, it's a very... It's a nice division of space. And it gives you a little bit of... Um, What's that thing called? Like um, privacy, intimacy. A little, yeah, a little bit of privacy. In all honesty, it's a little bit of private. It's got great music. Um, it's got um, great lighting. I mean, lighting and music are clutch for a bar. That's such an important part of creating the right atmosphere. Yeah. Um, the I, I just I like that. Like, how's the pricing? The pricing is great. I mean, I've I I got I got out of there like. I got a bottle of pink bubbles from Provence for less than 50. Like Yeah, French bubbles even if it's not like exactly champagne, yeah. but if it's sparkling wine from France for 40 something bucks, that sounds like a good deal to me. Great deal. Um I wish they had a, a list. That's my own that's literally They the don't have bottle. a printed list. They don't have a printed list. They don't have you a printed list. Just have list. to like No, you, you no, it's actually the way that the um the way that it works is there's all most of their inventory um, is up against the wall with like chalked, uh, okay. chalked um, pricing okay. on the bottles themselves. So you can pick whatever you need. There's obviously they're very very like gracious to find something for you. Um, You're like I want a acidic white. Yeah, like. The, the okay. they they know what they know they what, know what they're doing. they know what they're doing they know what they're doing um it's kind of a party on the weekends so if you're trying to go there to have a cute it's little in- first Tinder date you know nah boo you got to go somewhere else weekdays yeah thirteen Celsius is for you you know like um, all the Tinder dates go to thirteen Celsius. yeah they all they they really do um but yeah I mean um it's great I love it I love the fact that. You know, after living in Montrose, you know, for 16 years, you know, I've lived in I've lived in Montrose and there's now we're at a time, you know, in is like Houstonian, you know, Montrosian, whatever you want to call it. 
Um, there's a natural wine bar. There's a freaking tiki bar coming. Um, people are using fresh juices. I mean, it's... It's no better time to drink great beverages in Houston yeah, than right now. The hood is feeling real good today. All so. right. Linda, thank you. Thank you. We'll see right. you soon. I'll be right back with Felipe Riccio and Adam Garcia. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? I'm joined this week by Felipe Riccio and Adam Garcia. Felipe is the chef partner of Goodnight Hospitality. That's the emerging restaurant group behind Goodnight Charlie's, Rosie Cannonball, and March. Adam Garcia will be the chef de cuisine of Rosie Cannonball. Gentlemen, let me uh, let me greet you individually so that people can hear your voices. Felipe, welcome back to the show. How are you? Pretty good. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me having me back. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank, thank you so much, Eric. Pleasure. Thanks for being here. Let me just let me just kind of start with the roots of your professional relationship because obviously you're working together now, but you've worked together in the past. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Where did you Where did you first meet? So uh, we first met uh, back at Passing Prov- Provisions. I was the uh, exec sue of uh, Provisions. And uh, that's where I first met Felipe. Uh, he came in, I believe, from Reef. Yeah, right after Reef, yeah. And uh, we hit it off immediately. And then, um, you know, he worked there for a while. And we always kept in touch, um, even whenever he, he left uh, Stage in uh, Europe and everything. So, you know, we kept it pretty, pretty close. And, um, yeah, I guess whenever I heard about what he was doing, uh, we kind of rekindled our friendship again. Yeah, because I was still, I was in Spain at that time. Uh I remember uh, you and David had started the conversation, and uh, and then we chatted for a while about right. it. Yeah, yeah, because Adam, you've worked, you've kind of worked all over Houston. I mean, yeah, I'm a Houston native, uh, born and born and raised here. Um, started with the uh, Papas Group back when I was 17, 18, uh, washing dish, dishes. Uh, worked worked my way up. Um, I was at Voice uh, with that whole crew. Um, you know, that's when Basie and Yanti and uh, everybody was was there, and Nate and everybody. Um, after that, went to become the uh, CDC at Revival Market. Worked with uh, Chef Para there. Um, after that, left to open up Julep. Worked at Cultivare for a few years. Uh, again, passing pr- provisions, and then uh, yeah, now with uh, the the Good Night Group. Yeah. So what what about the Good Night Group made that seem like the right next step for you? You know, I was kind of in a transitional phase in my career. I was getting to a point to where I uh, wanted to take a, a big step. Um, whether that meant opening up my own place uh, or, you know, becoming the chef de cuisine of a place. I really wanted to settle down and uh, kind of become a part of, like, a home and a uh, family. And I heard that David was opening up a place. Um, he had left at that point. And um, I contacted him just out of, the, out, of, out of the blue just kind of to see what he was doing because, you know, you kind of make friends in this group and you see when great people are doing great things, you kind of just want to know what's, what's going on and, I shot him a text and said, hey, man, can we just get Joe chat um, to see what you're doing? And maybe there's some sort of way that we can make it click together. If not, cool. But if so, I just want to know what's what's going going on. So we sat and we had coffee and uh, he told me about the group and uh, I just got really excited about it. And uh, yeah, the rest is that. Yeah. Uh, Felipe, I think the last time you were on the show, Goodnight Charlie's had not been open for very long. Very long, yeah. It's been about a year. It'll be a year. Yeah, this Saturday will be a full year for <laughs> we'll have our anniversary party. So, so what 
how would you describe kind of where you're at, at least from a food perspective, with the year of Goodnight Charlie's? Well, I think, you know, the, the thing, the, the menu at Goodnight Charlie's has changed a bit. Uh, we've kind of realized um, what, what, people, what people want. We added the brunch menu. Uh, which has been going great. You know, it's very, very straightforward. We're still, you know, a place where you can come and enjoy some, some music and some great, great drinks and beer and whiskey. Uh, and food is just, you know, it has increased. It, little by little, has increased. You know, sort of what, what uh, the expectations are. I mean, the, the, the quality of the food remains. We're, you know, the, the tortilla program is only getting better. Uh, we talked about that last time. Yeah, I mean, there aren't very many bars or restaurants. <laughs> yeah. I'm I, unheard right. of in bars, uh, and and pretty rare in restaurants to make the tortillas from your own masa. Yeah, every day. Yeah, every day, and it's 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 an everyday thing. It's it's you know it's such a manual process that it really takes a lot of uh, of tinkering with with the with the program. Uh, but you know we're we're getting. The cook times, right? The silk times, the grind, all of it. You know, we're we're hand pressing our tortillas for tacos now, which uh, you know we we spend the money on the on the roller, but we really going back to hand pressing is the way better. to go. Yeah. yeah, and then you know we use the roller for you know we sell so many tortilla chips with with the queso and the duro. So yeah, and um, you've added what you added like a piece of fish, like you've expanded yeah, the menu. Yeah, the whole fish. Bit. Yeah, you know, just I mean, we're still a bar no matter what. Um, but you know we're serving food till till two a.m. You know pretty much every day except for Monday we're we're closed and Sunday we close at midnight. But we're serving food till two a.m. You know you can come in there and have a good meal for you know ten bucks, have three tacos and a beer. You know and uh, happy hour is great. Yeah. So we're we're still a bar at the end of the day, but we want people to be able to go in there and get some just some delicious, just true food. You know it's not coming right. out of a freezer. And so I remember, you know I. I, I pointed out to both you and David that I thought you were maybe a little overqualified to run <laughs> a honky tonk in Montrose, him, him being a master psalm and you being uh, an eater young gun and, and a pretty accomplished chef in your own right. Uh, and he said there was a hole in the ground. Yes. Uh, <laughs> now we know that that hole in the ground is going to be three different concepts. Correct. Uh, Rosie Cannonball, which is, uh, well, I'm going to let you kind of talk about what they are, but. Yep. But March and then and then a wine shop. And yeah, then, monstrous cheese and wine. Right. Yeah. So, so just before we get into the specifics, what is what is the status of that construction? Like, what what's your rough timing? Well, so I mean, you see the buildings up. There's windows there. Yeah. No, it um, looks like it's coming. You know, along. they're 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 bricking the outside. You know, there's all sorts of crews working. Uh, you know, in interior walls and electric and plumbing and all that. Uh, you know, we're still a few months out. It'll be hopefully, you know, first quarter of next year. Uh, that's what we're, what we're shooting for. Um, right. so, uh, Adam, since you're going to be the chef de cuisine, why don't you tell me a little bit about what kind of food people can expect at Rosie Cannonball? So the food's going to be more of a, uh, an homage to Southern Europe, uh, like the dining culture there in Southern, Southern Europe. Um, we want to create this sort of like vibe and, uh, culture there that will kind of just of all of our. All of our travels of what we've seen and what uh, other places are doing around the world. And um, we're going to have a pretty awesome pro- program there. We're going to have a great grill, uh, wood wood burning oven. So the dining room is going to kind of focus around that. And that's going to be kind of the main concept, I think. Yeah, we really want to see that. You know, we're, we're, we're spending a lot of time and energy into that wood burning oven and that wood burning grill. Right. You know, it's custom. It's going to be custom made for us um, in custom design. Uh for you know for us and by us so you know really having the menu revolve around those few pieces of equipment is going to be important right you know? and still give some give give you know people a place where they can come and 
you know, have a, a meal that is, you know, on point every single time. Uh, and, it, and like, I mean, you know, like Adam mentioned, the culture is more about that building that culture, that, that sort of, you know, casual dining culture that you see in Europe. Uh, and that's why, like, you know, when, when Adam approached us about, you know, jumping on board, it made sense for sort of what we had, Rosie Cannonball. It was brewing, and, it, you know, Adam just sort of was the, another ingredient to this thing that evolved into what Rosie Cannonball is going to be uh, because of the sensibility that he has. You know, at Passion Provisions, our conversations were about this type of culture, this type of cuisine. So it right. just made sense. Right, because in right. some ways, I mean, Provisions is a casual restaurant built around a wood-burning oven. Right. Yeah. In, in in certain aspects of the menu, right? Yeah, right. and I mean it has a, a you know heavy pizza program as well, and you know great pizza program. Um, you know we, you know like we don't want to be a pizzeria. You know there'll be pizzas <laughs> just because great. You know great wood burning ovens put out great. You know yeah. bread cooks great inside of the inside of those ovens. We need so, to be able to pay for the oven, so yeah. we might as well do do yeah. some uh, pizzas. <laughs> but uh, you know I think it's 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 that mentality that that culture that we want to. We want to build upon. All right, and then what about March? Because I that obviously is the the more ambitious fine dining restaurant. I mean, you know, I had I had Martin Steyer from Nobis on last week, and we we sort of talked about it's it's rare to find young chefs that want to open fine dining concepts because the trend has been towards more casual restaurants. Sure. Sure. Yeah, and I mean, I think there's a advantage to what we're doing. You know, as crazy as it is, it's, there's an advantage because we are able to, you know, we are going to be able to have sort of these multiple concepts, and and just, you know, it, it all depends sort of how you view fine dining. To me, it's fine dining is not this this like you know, stuck up you know sort of like expensive experience where it's you know you know. Well, but I mean, plateware, glassware, yeah. flatware, all that stuff is part of a fine dining. It's part experience. of a fine dining experience, yeah. And I think you know, people have, people have, um, you know, you look at a place like Noma, where nowadays all fine di- is fine dining tablecloth only, or is fine dining chinaware only? You know, not not a hundred percent. I think it's it is the I think fine dining now and the way we see I see it and and we see it is is a it's about performing everything at the highest level that you can. So that, you know, putting it in a fine dining scenario gives you that ability, right? It gives you smaller cover count, you know, um, you know, less turn, less turnover of tables and things. It gives you the ability to control all, all these different aspects that make it sort of at the highest level that you can, you know, sort of. I think there is a stigma it. around fine dining that it's not fun. I feel like people think that it's like yeah. a place where you have to get dressed up and, have to sit there for four four hours while you kind of like you can't really talk. You have to really talk really soft, and you have to enjoy everything. And you have to do that. But fine dining to be really fun. Fine dining to be really like interactive with the uh, guests and the chefs and the the kitchen. And I yeah. think that's what we're going to try to try to do in March. And, you know, yeah, kind of make it a different different experience. Yeah, it's allowing you to to experience something again at, at its highest level, and that's sort of the goal of it. So. And then I know that you've both. I mean, Felipe, you've traveled pretty extensively to kind yeah. of prepare yourself for for taking this role. What, where, how did you how did you become aware that sort of stodging in different restaurants was a possibility, and and how did you how did you approach that? Like, how do you how do you become a stodge? I mean, it's 
it's different for for each restaurant, I would say. Um, you know, the situation I found myself in with, you know, making the, the, the decision to move to, to Italy, um, you know, it stemmed from my wife going to school there, right? And so that was sort of the catalyst of the, of the situation. Um, but then, you know, you, you land and you realize you're in this, you know, France is just, you know, across the, across the road and Spain is there. And, you know, all these amazing restaurants that you've sort of grown up hearing about um, are, are all relatively close. Um, you know, and I was in the, I was in the position where, you know, after a few, you know, we talked about this last time, you know, a few months after being there, David approached me and said, Hey, do you want to be part of this project? So we, I jumped on board a few months into it. And, uh, so I was able to, instead of having to go and work somewhere in Milan, I was able to say, Hey, I want to go to Osteria Francescana three hours away and spend my time there, you know, and that was hard. I mean, being away from my wife and having to, you know, commute and all that, but it, you know, a lot of times connections helped a lot. Uh, you know, Daniela Sotunes uh, was, you know, huge, uh, setting me up with the guys at Osteria Francescana. And then it's just, you know, it's such a small world as well. Like just a, an email, a Facebook message. Sometimes, I mean, I, I literally Facebook message a cook and was like, Hey, can I get the email for whoever set up Sestages? And some of them didn't respond. And others were like, Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, totally. You know, you, you start to realize that all these kitchens are, are made up by people from all over the world and and they get excited when they you know when i cook mexican food i was there from just kind of they lost their mind you know they, were, they couldn't believe it because no they hadn't had anyone you know from mexico uh stash you know right so you know every restaurant's a little bit different um at azurmendi in northern spain it was like you know joining the military you know i mean <laughs> you know the, all these contracts and you know you clean shaved every single day or you go back downstairs and i mean it's you know Every restaurant has its own culture, right? So, so what? So, obviously, you 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 mentioned Osteria Francescana, and we talked about that last time. Arguably, the best Italian restaurant in the world. Uh, where else did you Where else did you stage when you were traveling? So, I staged at Azurmendi as well, and in, in just outside of Bilbao in, in the Basque Country, uh, beautiful place. Um, I was at uh, Blue Hill in New York. Actually, I came back um, right after Harvey. Actually, when we were kind of supposed to open Good Night Charlie's, and so I was in town for that. Obviously, that got pushed back. But then, since I was already back in the States, we spent uh, six weeks uh, at Blue Hill. Uh, my wife was up there with me as well, staging at a design studio. Um, and so, then, right. So, so obviously, Good Night Hospitality has a, a business partner, Peter McCarthy. Yeah. Is it is it difficult to was it difficult to convince Peter like, hey, I need you to pay me to go work for someone else for free? Um, no, no, it wasn't difficult. I think, you know, I think Pete supports what we, you know, Pete supported the sort of the birth of Goodnight Hospitality and which was that, which was developing that relationship, you know, between David and I and, and Adam and I, and then, you know, the stages and, you know, Adam, you know, just was just gone for six weeks staging as well. So oh, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're coming. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so it, it, it's definitely, and for Pete and I guess for good and hospitality, that education, you know, is super important and, you know, it, it does cost money yeah. sometimes. Uh, so Adam, so where, where did you go? So I started out at, uh, the charter Oak in uh, Napa, Napa Valley first uh i was there for about a week and a half uh right now that's a, we should say that's a casual restaurant that's affiliated with the restaurant at meadowood correct which correct. is a three-star michelin restaurant in correct um spent about a week week and a half there uh we were up 
David, uh, Felipe, and I were doing a dinner in Napa at Ashes and Diamonds and uh, decided that I should just stay there for a week. They have a concept there uh, with their grill that we're going to try to kind of uh, mimic here in Houston by designing our own grill. So that was um, that was one of the big reasons for me to stodge, stodge there. Uh, met some fantastic pe- people. I also spent some time on their farm, uh, which was amazing. They have a, an amazing farm program uh, there that we're also trying to bring bring back here and just met some really amazing folks. Um, after there, I went to Portugal, Stas, for about a week and a half in uh, Lisbon at a restaurant called Prat- Prado. Um, it was my first time in Europe ever. And uh, I didn't know what to expect at all. Like Felipe said, I sent about 25 emails, probably heard back from five places and uh, pitched some that I liked and that would help our concept grow. Um, so Prado had a, a, a grill that was similar. It was all live fire and it was all like seafood focused and it was a truly zero waste place. So, um, I learned a lot about but- butchering and curing and, uh, fermenting and, uh, just working with the lo- local ingredients to create some just amazing food and amazing flavors I'd never tried before. Um, so after that, I went to, uh, I did a little bit of just driving around and traveling. I went to San Sebastian, which was just an, 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 one of the most amazing food experiences I've, I've ever had. Um, after that, flew down to Naples, ate, ate some uh, pizza, so we can kind of uh, figure out the pizza oven there. After that, um, went up to a place about 45 minutes north of Modena, a little place called Trattoria Entra, E-N-T-R-A. Um, a hole-in-the-wall, tiny, tiny place. Their staff consists of a brother and sister group. Uh, the brother runs the front of the house, does amazing wine, uh, and the sister cooks. And she makes fresh pasta every single day, homemade sauces every day, fresh stock every day. She literally makes – she roasts three chickens a day for service, and that's it. Um, so, so they serve like 15 people or something? I mean, They serve work? about 25 to 30, and uh, there's no, no frills at all. Uh, Felipe and I had a talk about where I should stage, and uh, his experience there kind of helped me out a lot because I could go to some of the more like Michelin star places. I can go to like a you know one of the best places in the world, but it's a matter of what will you be doing there. What what will you be learning there? And I could you know I've heard a lot of stage stories from a lot of chefs who will go and will go to all these amazing places, but yet they're picking herbs or maybe peeling well, carrots. Right. Or, if you, you know. if you peel carrots for two weeks, right. You so anything. so from Felipe's experience, I found some really amazing places that were, I, I they needed hands, they needed help. So I was able to work, and I was able to work the line, and I was making pasta, and I was rolling out dough, and I was I was learning a lot. So I wasn't I was I was the first American stage at both of those places, which was kind of kind of cool. Um, and then after that, spent the last few weeks in Rome. And then uh, came came back home, took a lot of notes, took a lot of photos. So, so just so I mean, voice provisions, cultivare. I mean, mm-hmm. those are like three really outstanding local restaurants. What did you What did you learn in Europe that you hadn't seen before in even in even working for really good restaurants in Houston? That's great. It's uh, you know, you just see a lot of different things. You see the, a lot of the way that kitchens are ran. Um, you see a lot of the ways that ingredients aren't used or aren't thought of. And some of the stuff is the exact same, but a lot of things are very, very diff- different. Um, I mean, you can learn anything walking into any different place and watching how the cooks work and how the cooks inter- interact. Um, but the main thing that I really saw was this like 
just and not to say that nobody has it here or anything, but just this like passion in other places around the world where cooking is just it's it's looked upon as one of like the greatest things you, you can do in some of these like towns. Like to be a chef or to be a cook is just really, really at the top of their like game. Um, I got to work with a lot of amazing seafood that I've never even heard of, never even seen that we're hoping to get in. Made a lot of contacts for Europe, European products that you know we want to be able to get down here and do some some stuff stuff with. So, um, so yeah. So did you did you come back with ideas for specific dishes? Like I want to do a version of this or that in Houston. I did. I got. Uh, <laughs> I actually got laughed at a lot whenever I told uh, some of the staff over there that I kind of want to recreate this dish in in uh, Houston, and um, you know they were kind of like. You, you can't do it. <laughs> you know, we don't have the same produce there. We don't have the same this, this there. So, of course, you can't really mimic a dish, dish, dish for dish, bring it back here. But there are a lot of ideas, a lot of techniques, and a lot of met- methods that I'm for sure going to try to bring here. So, And then, uh, Felipe, I guess uh, one of the relationships you built when you were at uh, Francescana is going to pay off. You've got a, a pop-up dinner in January with Correct, yeah. uh, with. I'm going to I'm going to risk this Felipe Camerata. Yeah, Filippo. Yeah. Filippo. Yeah. <laughs> Filippo. Yeah, so my yeah. So Filippo and I met the first day um of stage at uh just kind of you kind of start in blocks. And uh you know, every morning all the stages polish every single plate. Uh you know, on the on the two passes at, at Osteria and uh you know, Filippo and I were standing on either side of the pass and you know, in my my at that time, poor Italian. I said, you know, hey, you know, what's your name? He introduced, and I, right away I was like, oh, okay, this guy's gonna be. Yes, yeah, his name is Filippo. He's gonna be cool. Um, so you know, we just hit it off right then and there. Um, obviously, talking, we realized that we were in a very similar path. You know, Filippo. You know, each sort of our own story, but Filippo, you know, uh, is older than me. I mean, um, he's you know in his mid thirties, um, and he he had been working at one restaurant for 20 something years right he started as a as a line cook and then became the the chef the, you know the executive chef uh and was making his own food uh it's in uh it was in in bergamo a uh, beautiful town in northern italy um and you know just being in the same world you know got connected with a couple of chefs you know nico romito down in uh in abruzzo which is a, a restaurant uh, yeah, um, an amazing three michelin star restaurant uh, called Reale, uh, and then through that ended up at Osteria Francescana and was in the same sort of boat where he was looking for all these experiences and all these travels. You know, he went to Peru, he went to, he's been in Spain, all over Italy, you know, he's coming here to get ready to open a restaurant. Um, so he's opening a restaurant, you know, mid next year as well. So uh, we, we were sort of in the similar, um, you know, path. And it was really interesting to just sort of see how he was doing it and he, how he was responding to it and how he was processing it, which is the hardest part of staging, like how you process what you just experience. Mm-hmm. You have to be like mentally ready and sort of aware that you have to absorb as much as possible and write as many notes and take as many pictures, but then you have to be ready to sort of process that. And that, you know, that takes time and, you know, like I didn't really even start to process until I came back. Right. And still going through it, you know. <laughs> well, right, so... I guess the, you know, from a, from a listener perspective or, or, you know, selfishly from my perspective, you know, what, what can we expect? I mean, what, what's the, what, what's the benefit to me of you having had these experiences? 
I mean, I think simply put, it is it is the development of of me as a person, right? So, like, what my experiences, my story will influence March is going to influence Rosie Cannonball is influencing you know Goodnight Charlie's right. Um, so I think the rec- that sort of simple and cut dry answer is that. Um, then you get into the details of, oh, you know, being able to go and experience, you know, the one Parmesan producer that, you know, Massimo uses, you know, and being able to find it here in the States or go into, you know, a producer of rice in northern Italy that is in, inside of a, of a nature reserve, you know, and, and seeing this amazing product and this amazing quality and being able to bring it back, that will sort of directly impact exactly what you're eating right and then just ideas i mean nothing it's not like you know what march is going to be what rosie cannonball is going to be it's not just a copy of x restaurant we stage at or whatever you know like i didn't stage at a mediterranean you know sort of research project restaurant you know so that's gonna, not going to be a direct implication but just sort of you know how how other chefs or even other cooks i mean i worked with some of the most talented cooks i've ever worked with i mean at blue hill Every single cook that worked at, or that was working at Blue Hill when I was there spoke at least two languages. You know, every single cook um, that was working at, you know, Osea Franciscana had worked at other three Michelin star restaurants or other, you know, top 50 in the world. Um, so being able to learn from them and being able to learn from the sous chefs and even just the culture, you know, of walking down to the, you know, little cafe in Modena uh, and, you know, all these, all these experiences sort of add to so my story that would then, you know. Well, and then I guess in theory, right, you having had these experiences will make both March and Rosie Cannonball like desirable places to work for ambitious young Houston chefs. For yeah. sure. Right? And so they'll come to you and then you'll you'll train them and then you'll send them out into the world. And, yeah. you know, just like Underbelly and Oxhart and now T-Rex and Cultivare are kind of been training grounds for some of the new restaurants that have opened up in the past couple of years. Right in in a in a perfect world, correct. March will push that forward too. Exactly, and Rosie Cannonball too, and even I mean, Goodnight Charlie's as well. I mean, I mean, this, yeah, you know, this, there's very few places you can go and learn, you know, how to make a tortilla, like you said. Yeah, so. this this whole dinner that we're doing um, will be about our our stages and our travels and everything. And you know, I think for a a lot of young cooks, and I know this was my mind, mindset for a long time that it was work, 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 work uh, as many hours a day, and then. You know, if you're not exhausted and wake up and do the same exact thing, but that that one is not health healthy, and two, you know, it's just not not great for your for your like mindset and for growing. So what we're trying to you know talk to young cooks about is travel. I mean, read, take time for yourself, and eat a new dish and experience new things, and the importance of going out there and actually, you know, talk talking to other chefs and get excited about food and. You know, I'm yeah. I'm 35 years years old, and I just had my first experience in Europe, and I've never been more excited as a cook to come back and try new uh, things and talk to you know Felipe and talk to David about new ideas and tech tech something that I've never even heard of or seen before, and it's it's just really exciting and fun, and uh, it's one of the things that's best about our jobs as chefs and as cooks, you know. Right. So the pop up with Filippo's sold out, right? Correct. Yeah, fifteen yeah. minutes. <laughs> <Does, laughs> yeah. I mean, I Dr. I remember Bradley. I remember going to one of your uh, Mancio macaroni pop ups yep. uh, a few years ago that sold out like in the blink of an eye too. So yeah. that 
that's not a surprise. <laughs> are there other, are we going to get more kind of previews of Rosie Cannonball in March before you open? We'll see. I mean, you know, we're definitely going to have to be cooking. So wait <laughs> yeah. for it. We want to, we, yeah. and we want to eat. So yeah, it's, it's exactly. a very symbiotic it's a symbiotic relationship, relationship you, yeah. You cook food, and I'll give you money for it. It's, Perfect. We've, we've <laughs> That's, been on what we're doing. That's the goal. We've been on this road for a long time together. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, well, gentlemen, that brings me to the end of my questions, unless you feel like there's some aspect of this you want to discuss. Well, uh, our anniversary party is coming up at Goodnight Charlie's, like Felipe said earlier. Yeah. Um, we're going to be doing a, a whole pig yeah. uh, outdoors. We're going to be doing a, a Trump... Trumpo style chicken and uh, beef, and uh, we're gonna have bands all day. Um, drink specials and tacos are gonna are gonna be a dollar. So yeah, we're gonna, gonna sell be as many tacos as possible. Is the yeah. Goal. And what what day is that? Saturday the twenty yeah. second. Twenty second. Yeah. Starting at what time? Uh, starting at twelve p.m. with uh with brunch, oh, high great. noon. All right. Yep. Um, and of course, uh, Felipe has done the lightning round here, which is where I ask. Five easy questions, and you <laughs> give me five short answers, Adam. But you have not. <laughs> I have not. So let's let's wrap this up with the lightning round. All right. Adam Garcia, what's your favorite cookbook? My favorite cookbook is, oh, man. Wow. Right now, it's Echibari, uh restaurant in Spain. I just started in about a week ago, so it's right. great. What's the first band you ever saw in concert? First band? Oh, man. I actually saw Jimmy Page and Robert Plant at the, wood, at the Woodlands. That is long a long time that's ago. A very solid. Yeah, it's kind of been down downhill from from there. Uh, what is your fast food guilty pleasure that comes from a restaurant with a drive through? <sighs> Popeyes is about a block away from from my house. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Uh, since you're a Houston native, who's your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Uh, I would have to say, wow, Cred uh, Biggio, favorite. And other than Goodnight Charlie's, where's your favorite place in town to get a taco? Favorite place in town to get a taco? Oh man, um, got me. Uh, Aero Flint. Aero Flint's doing 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 some awesome stuff over there. So, all right, Felipe, give us the website and the social media and all that stuff for all of what you guys are working on. Well, so you have Goodnight Hospitality on on Instagram, and uh, there's Goodnight Charlie's on Instagram, and uh, you know you look, look look us up on Facebook as well. We put up our or live events or live music up there. And then, uh, you know, keep an eye out for March, HDX, and then Rosie Cannonball. And then uh, what is, for Montreux Season Wine, um, I got to remember what the, uh, All right. what the Instagram well, I'll, is for the that. I'll, is. I'll, look, I'll look it up and yeah. link to it in the Culture Map article <laughs> yeah, there you go. that accompanies this podcast. Perfect. All right. And, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at E. Sandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. This is your periodic reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Google, and newly on Spotify. So if you want to leave a comment and rate it, like Katie Nolan always says, only if it's five stars and only if it's nice. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.